Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Jenny Rhodes is a licensed clinical psychologist, a dating relationship coach, an image consultant, and a 200-hour Ishta-trained yogi. She founded Rapport Relationships. Today, Dr. Rhodes incorporates her intuitive and healing skills into her therapy and coaching practice. She's passionate about helping people cope with their own healing journeys and combines the science of psychology with individually curated intuitive guidance to fit the needs of her clients. She focuses her practice on issues pertaining to depression, anxiety, empaths, sensitivity, and relationships, including dating, couples therapy, and divorce work. She believes that our most important teachers come in the form of people meant to make an impact in our life. In this sense, relationships matter most. I got to work with Jenny as a teacher in a training, that 200-hour training that she did, and also in a meditation training at Ishta. And it was such a treat to get to catch up with her and talk about the work she does and how yoga and meditation have an impact on that. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Brooklyn. Thank you. I yeah. love Brooklyn. <laughs> Me too. It's taken us a, a lot of here and there to get here, and we finally have arrived in a place that's both Brooklyn and quiet. And that's an impressive feat to yeah. have accomplished. Yeah, yeah. So we've walked this way, and we're at the park, which feels very sylvan, and mm -hmm. then we walk that way, and this neighborhood is a historic district. Oh, of, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, around the turn of the last century, um, architect came in and he envisioned a uh, suburban life within the city. And so he plotted out this former farmland and they built gigantic mansions on it. So wow. you walk this way and it feels like you're in Westchester or... That's amazing. Yeah, I yeah. always, when I'm walking around the city, start thinking about, you know, what the history of the different mm -hmm. places are and mm -hmm. the, the neighborhoods are all just so, so different and yeah. fascinating. And then I have a student uh, who comes to class a lot who, when I mentioned where we were moving, said, I grew up right there. Oh my so goodness. I've actually found her house. And <laughs> it's quite spectacular. And, fascinating. Yeah, so I got a lot of uh, firsthand history from her. Yeah. Yeah, That's about good. What, what was happening here in the 50s and 60s. That's so, fascinating. Yeah. Are you guys both sensitive to the energy of neighborhoods? Yeah, you know, most, um, in different ways, I think, but mm -hmm. uh, sort of the, you know, the general vibe of things. Yeah. And, you know, Wendy does a fair amount of that kind of work and is very sensitive, so... Yeah, it's interesting because I yesterday was in a yoga studio in the East Village on Avenue B, and there was this really weird mm. vibe. And mm. so I didn't, don't really know the full history of the East Village, and mm -hmm. then started looking up the history of that building, and it's like, oh, that would be the reason why oh, there's some weird energy yeah, yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah, and that I mean, all of these neighborhoods that most of us are living in now have gone through this thing of 
becoming going from well they were just normal neighborhoods then they fell into disarray mm -hmm. and then they became hip again mm -hmm. and so they have all kinds of even recent history yeah it's also fascinating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah click 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 at the doggy's claws <laughs> great so um i wanted to talk about the work that you do and the work that you've been doing for years working with people on their uh their love life their mm -hmm. dating life and and the way that you approach it has this depth to it because of your training in psychology and now you're training in yoga yeah and um so many people it's a it's one of those areas quote unquote of life to deal with finance home romance mm -hmm. or love yeah. and so forth so how do you think about that yeah it's definitely i think i started 2011 2012 and i at the time had a divorce practice i was trained actually as a forensic psychologist mm. um and i did some very serious child custody what work. exactly is forensic psychology yeah so it's a branch of psychology that specifically deals with interacting with the court system mm. so you could be like adult forensic which would be interacting with the courts and the criminal system or you could do more child-oriented work which interacts with the family court system and so i was trained to work kind of more in the family court side of things. Um, and I did that training in New Orleans and I really loved it. And in New Orleans, the family courts work very differently than they do in California and New York. And as a mental health person, you feel like you can make a difference because the judge usually knows the family. It's a smaller oh, community. Mm. Um, and so when something and families you know, stay there for a long time, families stay too. there for a long time is, you know, usually multiple generations. Um, and because everyone kind of knows everyone, the incentive to continue to litigate something about your child is kind of not always, always there. So I feel like you can resolve things and do some really good intervention mm. work. So that's what I was trained to do. But then I moved to California and that is not how the system works mm. in California. So I got very burnt out mm. um, probably 2011, 2012. And I went back to a mentor and I, wanted to leave psychology altogether and I had just finished my degree wow. and he said don't throw your tools like don't you have a toolbox don't throw it out you just need to take some time to reinvent mm -hmm. your practice so we um we came up with the idea instead of doing divorce work that we would do the front end of relationships um, and that came out of my um, divorce practice where my clients, because I was specializing in families with young kids, clients would be in their 30s when they would go through their first mm -hmm. divorce and inevitably need to start dating. And so right. they would come in, you know, after two or three years of work. It's and it's so say, different when you're 30 than when you're in college or something. Yes. Meeting people is so easy. Yeah, and they didn't want to make the same mistakes they felt they had made in their first marriage. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to go to a professional to help them hmm. with that. And I had zero referrals for them. And I started realizing that um, the dating industry is full of a lot of coaches who don't have any credentials mm -hmm. um, and that it was a real kind of gap 
um, in, in the market and an opportunity for mental health to kind of come in and really help people who wanted, you know, to kind of learn from the relationships and do things yeah, yeah. kind of in a better, yeah. a better way. So I started, I started off in San Francisco. Um, I was trained as a matchmaker and dating coach. Um, and I kind of quickly learned that I didn't like the matchmaking side of the dating yeah. industry. Um, and so there, that didn't, let's step back for a second. Yeah. There's, there, there's training for that. Yeah, I would not say it's extensive training. It's a little bit more, um, the one institute that does it is here in New York, and it's a little bit more business-oriented mm-hmm. training. Um, how to set up such a Kind of how business. to set up the business and how does the business actually run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's necessary training. Um, just our finance things you don't know. Our financial institutions don't support a matchmaker opening a bank account because mm-hmm. they think that you're going to do some high-end prostitution. Mm-hmm. So you can't use the word matchmaker in the name of your business because you can't get a chase account like things like that you wouldn't actually know or ever think of so um i did some of that some of that training and did matchmaking early in my career and started realizing (laughs) that when people go to a matchmaker it's like they have their checklist of everything that they want and it's like they're in a store ordering a salad And I really just, it was not in my wheelhouse. I've been calling that like the Aladdin <laughs> lamp uh, It is the Al- It's like, let's rub the Aladdin lamp yeah. and I want these 27 <laughs> things. Right. And then you're sitting there as a, a professional and you know it's not realistic. Yeah. Um, but the industry caters to people with a ton of money. And so mm. they have a sense of entitlement of... I do this for work. I have this much money, especially in Silicon Valley. And they're like, I deserve this. And I kind of just got to the point where values wise, I didn't want to work with those clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So I stopped matchmaking, started focusing on coaching. And I started realizing that most of the clients coming to me were creative professionals or professionals that had some kind of creative background. Um, and their careers were off track, and that was the largest reason for why their personal life mm. was off track. So mm. we've kind of gone down this journey of trying to figure out how to help my clients through now what's looking like more of a trying to help them do some healing healing work and kind of realign the mind, body, and soul so that they don't have to torture themselves with mm-hmm. online dating or going to a matchmaker. Do they, how do they react if, when they come in for this one question mm-hmm. and you bring it back so far? Are they open to that? I think the clients that do, especially the ones that are coming now, because they tend to be a little bit more spiritually open and spiritually oriented, um, they kind of already know and they're looking mm-hmm. for some validation that like, that they're a little off track in other areas of their life. Um, but for clients that are not open to that, um, they also crave someone kind of being a little bit more confrontative. I think um, most of them have been to therapy and their therapist keeps saying, just be yourself. It's going to be okay. They're very n- warm and nurturing, which is what a therapist is supposed to do. But at the end of the day, sometimes you need someone to give you some real feedback about what is really mm-hmm. going on and for especially my male clients it's they should probably all be in some kind of creative mm. profession and they are 
killing their souls mm. working in finance or doing something that they're right. not happy right happy doing because it's helping them make money because it's helping them make money which is what they still think that the love of their life is going to value more mm. over everything oh, that's else. so interesting i was thinking of it from the perspective of you know it's just hard to live and at some point you just sort of swallow it mm -hmm. in order to uh you know deal with staying the survival part the earth elements mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but but that's interesting that you're putting it in the realm of they think someone else is going to value that in them yeah i think that's really actually written in our dna that's mm. very much the biology mm -hmm. piece where you know and you're seeing this breakdown mostly now in asia so the dating in different countries is really fascinating um specifically because there's been an increase in suicide in china of men um, because they automatically assume because they do not have money, they will not get married. And mm. so it's increased human trafficking and increased the suicide rate because that's the one thing that particular culture values. And it's right. an old... It's a status thing. It's a status thing. Mm -hmm. And it's an old way of viewing kind of the future of hmm. marriage. Um, and it's related to our biology where it's Men are like the peacock and women mm -hmm. are the ones choosing and having access to resources is how women make choices yeah. when they're traditionally and traditionally they're not in an earning role, so they have to rely on that. Right. Um, and so I think in the United States, we are starting to see things change, which means that things have gotten really confusing right. for people. And right. then, then they hear things are happening in other parts of the world that sound really ridiculous and weird and so um there's so much more choice now but it also means there's so much more confusion and yeah, anxiety that's um, such a brilliant point to bring up that with the freedom comes the responsibility but just the need to make it up sort of you're you're flying without the structures there that served as taking decisions away right yeah now you have to figure out how to do that yeah, now you actually really have to sit and more mindfully think about do I what do I want to get married and what does that marriage look like? Do I have more traditional values? Do I want an open marriage? You have to actually go through the personal development process to get to the point where you can make those decisions. And I think yeah. that's where most of my clients have gotten stuck. It's because they assume that whatever it is that they think they've been told they want is what everyone else wants. Uh -huh. And they're learning that that's actually not, hmm. not the case. Um, and so when they get told that they have to go down <laughs> the journey, right. they choose, but that the journey is going to help clear this up. It's kind of, you get one or two reactions, you either get like a, Oh, like relief because they've intuitively known, but they didn't know where to start. Or you get the, you're just kind of crazy. I'm not going to yeah, do yeah, yeah. that. And then, you know, we'll refer to a more traditional yeah. therapist or, or that, someone. Oh, yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. really good. But what about, can you yeah. give me a date well, right what now? What about, like, my checklist of, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, the 27-year-old woman when I'm 60, yeah. like, yeah. and, like, has all these things plus a PhD and, like, makes her own money because I don't want someone right. living off of my money. And right. you're like, no, you're having a midlife crisis right. for a reason. Like, <laughs> right. you have to go down the go down the journey, but not everyone. Yeah. It's not, not everyone's going to yeah. choose to do that, so. Yeah. Interesting. And then, uh, so when you're having... 
are helping to create then this opportunity for them to do the exploring, the soul searching, mm -hmm. maybe you could call it. Um, you're using, you, you're training in psychology for that and you've been doing yoga for yeah. a while now yeah. and, and did teacher training in yoga. And so how is that influencing this you know, it, guidance? Yeah, it's, we've, I've gotten to a point because, you know, also through my yoga journey, especially in the past year, because 10 years ago when I started doing restorative yoga, I just thought I was taking a nap and mm -hmm. no, I had started my healing journey 10 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, I've also, through the kind of the yoga journey, my sensitivities um, that I knew I had as a kid have come back. And so mm -hmm. I have a really high, heightened level of intuition that mm -hmm. I've been actively working on and I'm trying to incorporate into my work. So we now um, have an assessment process within three hours. I can intuitively and from my scientific background tell you like mind, body, soul, like what's your plan of action is going to be. And nine out of 10 times, it's um, it will include uh, yoga and meditation as part of the way of taking care of the body. Mm. Um and it, we just did an assessment of a woman who is a yogi. Um, but what was interesting is that she's been doing a yoga practice that's been shutting off her creativity when she really needs to go through a creative awakening. Mm. Right the now. yoga that she's been doing hasn't yeah, been serving her. Yeah, she's been her. very, for years, doing Ashtanga, like very mm -hmm. perfection base, which was good for her in the beginning, like in the beginning. Yeah. And then she just got stuck and stopped exploring even when her therapist was saying, you know, maybe go try a different type of yoga or just right. not do it. Cause she was doing it, you know, rid like rigidly six days right. a week. Um, right. and so it defeats the purpose of right. kind of digging into your, what your body is trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she, she, she's typical. She comes in. I can't, I can't find a date. All the men in New York suck. Um, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm never going to have kids. Like this is right. what we hear. And mm -hmm. then we go through three hours of assessment process and it's, we need to revamp your yoga. We need to revamp your meditation practice. We need to like work on your chakras. We need to send you to energy healing. We mm -hmm. have to like, you know, take your acupuncture more seriously um, we got a, you know, she had, she knew what her Ayurvedic type was. I'm like, you have a Vata imbalance. Like we need Deal to get you it. like, we need to get you back in alignment because I'm like, you don't need online dating mm -hmm. because you are supposed to energetically just be able to walk into a room and people are going to be drawn mm -hmm. to you. And she just kind of stared at us and I'm like, you're, mm. you're on the journey, but right now you like, you have to take care of yourself right. first and he'll show up when. Right. You feel like you've gotten yourself back into balance. And for her, it would like she knew it. She like she's highly intuitive, but she doesn't trust herself, yeah. which is what most of the well, clients that, go through. That actually segues perfectly with a question I had, which is how how are you um, testing is too strong a word, but how are you uh, using your discernment on mm -hmm. your own process. Yeah. And so, and it, the reason I say it was a good segue is because I think people have an optimism about their own intuition mm -hmm. and whatnot. And they hear the kinds of things we're, that you're saying and they say, yeah, well, that makes total sense. And I'm going to do that. But then when it doesn't work right away, mm -hmm. then it becomes a area of doubt. 
Yeah, I, you know, so I, in their assessment process, before I meet with them, we actually give some scientific surveys. So we'll do surveys on self-compassion. We'll do surveys on compassion and kindness um, towards other people. We have um, a personality type questionnaire um, that's based off of Helen Fisher's scientific research about like why certain types are biologically drawn to each other. Mm. And then we give a lot of open-ended questions just about like life in general and what you want your life to look like and kind of like what's what's been helpful to you and not. Um, And then in the session, you know, clients will sit and talk about what's going on. But I will do a tarot card reading. I will pull oracle cards. I will, you know, do some other intuitive guidance readings. And I think the combination of the science piece um, before they come in and then sitting and pulling some cards, which, you know, you can take it or leave it. It's like totally up Mm -hmm. to you how Mm -hmm. you want to interpret that. There's something about the combination that people are like, Oh, you're not like the crazy psychic off the street who is trying to, you know, solicit business. It's like you, like we can talk about it from the science part, but we could talk about it from the intuition part and they often align together. And so it's kind of like the date, then it's like, okay, well, there's multiple pieces of data now. So what do you want to do? Right. Do with They're it. all pointing in the same direction. Yeah, and you can choose. Like, if you want to go more logical, like mm-hmm. then we can talk about your interventions from this way. But if you're more intuitive, which if clients are a little bit more spiritual, like they'll be more drawn yeah. over here. And so we just kind of work together to come up with concrete action steps, and they leave with a. I think our report we did for a client this week was 13 pages of action steps to consider and just kind of start. Right. Uh, or continue. Most of the time, they're just continuing mm-hmm. their journey and yeah. they just haven't realized that they've been on, yeah. on a journey. Yeah. And so, in, in, in terms of that, like trusting them, mm-hmm. you're seeing results from the people you're working with. They're, they're coming to better states of mind and being more optimistic and positive in their searches and yeah that, that's the thing it's like the target the goal finding the other person that kind of thing i always think that's such not the right target like that's a, a potential outcome but if that's yeah. the only criterion it's really hard to stay open it is really hard to stay open and then also people don't realize that if you're really living kind of like what your soul's purpose is or you're on that path you don't have to work so hard that Mm -hmm. people are going to show up for a reason Mm -hmm. and you know the first three might not be the love of your life but you're supposed to learn something from them and you're supposed to you know be kind and compassionate to them and not be you know a jackass to them right and i think our dating industry encourages people to be jerks to each other so it's like you've had so many years of ghosting people and not being nice to people and just doing things that actually hurt people that Mm -hmm. you come to me at 35 it's like okay well now it's like you have to completely learn an entire different skill set of like how to view relationships yeah and especially the way the dating thing is set up now it's very commodified right it's you're just like one of the the store's stock of people I could yeah. be interested in. Yeah, no, because now you just sit there yeah. like, swiping left or right, and you're doing it from a mindless mindset, which is like, oh, like who's going to make me happy today? Right. Rather than sitting there thinking, 
Isn't it amazing? I live in a country where like I have so much power to swipe left or right. right. Like who, like this person's interesting. That might be a good person for my friend, but not for me. Like, and thinking about it from a different mm-hmm. perspective. That is a real person also. It is also a real person. And yeah. people in Afghanistan do not have the privilege of swiping left and right. Mm-hmm. And we forget that that choice is a luxury and a privilege we've worked for mm-hmm. in this country. And so we we take the connections for granted. And mm-hmm. that's part of the uh, teaching yeah. process that um, I do with my clients. Yeah. And and it would build the capacity for connection Mm -hmm. when you do meet the right person. I've worked with people and it's like, okay, so, you know, you went from there's nobody, right? Mm -hmm. And and fill in the reason of why. It's like this city or everyone's gay or whatever, you know, and, uh, or I'm gay and I can't find anybody who's not straight Mm -hmm. or whatever the thing is. But then when they have an interaction with someone and it doesn't work out, it's like, yeah, but at least you saw that there's a person. Just that little yeah. step is, yeah. is significant. You know, there are people who are good that you are interested in. And Yeah, no, people don't see it. And I've been writing about karmic relationships um, from a little bit more of a spiritual perspective because people are just so obsessed with finding their soulmate Mm -hmm. they don't even know what a soulmate is Mm -hmm. because that person's gonna bring a whole bunch of learning like to the relationship Mm -hmm. but we get stuck on the karmic relationships the ones where that they bring so much drama and pain Mm -hmm. and sometimes they're abusive or not and then all you want to do is like hate the other person for the rest of your life rather than realize that there was something you had to learn if you don't learn, then the other people are not going to come. Yeah. Or someone's yeah. going to come to teach you the same exact thing. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. get into a pattern like over yeah. and over and over. And that's where most of my clients, it's like for women, it's like dated 27 narcissistic men. And right. it's like, okay, well, we're going to stop and we're going to figure out like how to clear, clear that because there are lessons that you're yeah. just not picking picking up on yeah. um and then for men i i often in new york here i don't want to marry a gold digger and then you start looking at who they're choosing to <laughs> associate themselves with and it's like you're gonna need to go and do your like inner inner yeah. housekeeping because you're attracting right this. and even though you say you don't you don't want it so um like i think relationships in general are just like really wonderful opportunity for learning, but we just shame ourselves into thinking we did something wrong when bad stuff happens. Yeah, and then you're trying to fix yourself for the next one. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's so interesting. I was just listening to um, this teacher named Tara Brock, Mm -hmm. and um, she was talking about hope and these two different forms of hope the one is the kind of Aladdin's lamp hope, like mm-hmm. I hope I get this. And I think, you know, many people who are on a dating app are probably thinking exactly that. You know, I hope I get this guy or I hope I get this woman that is this. Mm-hmm. And then my happiness will come, just as we've been saying. And then she contrasted that with another kind of hope that is a hopefulness. Which is a kind of a trust in the universe that this is, I'm doing, as long as I'm doing my work, 
the right things will come into life. Things will be here. I just need to stay open and present and not be projecting out into what mm -hmm. I hope will come in the future, right? Or dreading what I wanted in the past. And it's like an attitude. Yeah, I think that's actually a really beautiful way of describing the differences. And, you know, from a personal perspective, I, you know that I was in Argentina for a long time and I was going through my yoga journey and my, like another layer of healing and I didn't know what the heck was going on, but I was very drawn to Argentina. And um, I met a couple of men there because I've been single for a while, but I met a couple of men there that are not necessarily like my soulmate life partners, but they had a drastically different view on the concept of what a healthy relationship is that was incredibly healing. Hmm. And they showed up in forms that if and, you know, by New York standards, if you just stuck with your checklist, you would have ignored them completely. Mm -hmm. One is a like tango dancer who left his career. He has no money, but like he just dances tango all the time and he's really happy. He's probably one of those most spiritual people that I've met, but he doesn't let you know mm -hmm. right away. And, you know, the way that he combines it in with his tango dancing is really beautiful, but... Mm -hmm. Like if you're stuck over here in your head, you miss the opportunity and right. then you don't learn from these people who are just like living their life and happy just living right. their life. They're not striving for something, right. something else. Um, and so like for me, that was a really important lesson. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're still friends and still yeah. in contact and everyone will text me. There's really amazing like spiritual like comments and I'm like you should write a book and he's like no I just live my life I don't need to do anything anything else but um you meet those people when you start to let go of like the way yeah we're conditioned right right mm -hmm. just to be open to what's in front of you yeah yeah and and it comes back to the swiping thing it's like I lived in LA for a long time and I was playing music and it the the business of trying to be a musician got really depressing and when I caught myself being at a party and meeting someone and saying what do you do and when I found out they could not help my career I would just exit the conversation mm -hmm. you know when I started seeing that oh Matt, wow now you're doing that yeah I knew it was time to go mm -hmm. you know that that this level of it's not a, it's not enough to just be another person yeah that's significant you know it is. And that's actually um, a really valid point with regard to dating because the younger generation would have started and learning from my intern, I was like having young people around. Mm -hmm. But um, the big thing is, is like to meet someone online and then check how many followers they have on Instagram. Wow. And it's like, okay, well, what does that tell? I'm like, that's not based on any scientific research, right? right. The science of relationships stuff for 40 50 years pretty solid research yeah. there's nothing about social media followers that's gonna indicate whether or not they're going to be a good life partner so why do you care or even extrapolate to how many friends does someone have in, in the right, real world right? right and so but um you know for her and she's quite insightful she had to stop and think of yeah yeah, that doesn't make any sense, does it? And I'm like, well, if you, who has more insight than the average 22-year-old, have gotten stuck in that cycle of, oh, this person's not good enough because they don't have enough Instagram followers, right. we're in a lot of trouble because right. like, the younger generation has to figure out that Instagram yeah. followers don't really mean yeah. anything for their love life. 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you, you followed this. I, I just kind of read the headlines about some research that came out recently about what younger people are up to and how they're not getting into relationships so much mm-hmm. yeah. as in previous generations. They are really anxious and fearful. There's been like, if you start tracking the numbers of um, starting in high school of kids going in for depression and anxiety, it's skyrocketed. Mm. Um, when I lived in Silicon Valley, I did some consultation with the Palo Alto School District when I was still doing some child work because they have an unusually high rate of suicide. Mm. It's like seven times the national oh average. Um, and the level of anxiety of, you know, kids trying to get into college and, you know, which has been around a long time. But right now it seems right. the numbers actually indicate that it's getting, right. it's getting worse. Um, and I wonder if it isn't like also com- like being in community because you spend so much time doing these virtual things. Yeah. And then, it, I mean, I recall being very anxious just going yeah, to a, anywhere, going to school and interacting with people. I mean, it's it's challenging. Yeah, I couldn't make a phone call like when I was <laughs> yeah. that age. I was really scared too. Yeah. Um, no, I think the lack of community is actually really problematic. And I think the old way of teaching kids where it's very individual and you, like it's didactic, um, it's going to need to change because they need more collaboration. They do need more community. And right. so the higher education system continues to reinforce this kind of individual, like you're on your own right. path. It's not making them happy. And so I think, you know, more and more young people are going to not go college because they're going to go out into the world, hopefully go out into the world and, you know, kind of see what other options for community right. are out there right. um, and maybe bring it back to the United States because we don't value mm-hmm. community as much as other cultures mm-hmm. do. But I do worry that the level of anxiety is going to interfere with their ability to be able yeah. to manifest that. Yeah. So it's it's a real problem. Yeah. Hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that's... Uh, We've gone from the individual date to the global condition. Yeah. Microcosm, macrocosm. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, everything is always interconnected. Listening to Peter's podcast is a little bit like coming to yoga class and hearing me talk about this, that, and the other thing. Plus, there are cool interviews with nice people. And also, a chance to hear sometimes an actual class, a meditation class. I'd love if you would consider it a kind of a drop-in class that's pay what you wish. And the way that you pay what you wish isn't to drop money in a box by the door, but to subscribe to the podcast on Patreon to subscribe for a particular amount that gets charged every month the amount can be as little as a dollar so if you did subscribe for a dollar that would mean over the course of two years that would be as much as going to one yoga class you can also subscribe for more and there are even some good uh, ways to interact with me one-on-one if you'd like to do that so check it out patreon.com peters podcast thank you The dating industry is, um, it's really fat. It's like 
as a business is really fascinating. It makes so much money throughout mm. the world, so much money. And there is not one online dating company that really does anything philanthropic. Mm. Um, it's not, you know, really, you know, any kind of focus on using the money to like stop human trafficking. There's not any right. focus on trying to take this very basic core human need, right. trying to solve that problem, which is where, it, you know, this, these companies came from yeah. and then do something larger, yeah. which I think, um, as a problem for the younger Yeah, generation. you know, it, that's it's so interesting you bring it up in that way because we're right in the middle of, uh, you know, presidential primaries. Mm -hmm. And and it, it, the primaries themselves are raising these questions about, like, who is responsible for what. And, you know, when you run a company, which you've done, which mm -hmm. I've done, you know, it's like you're, you have a mission and you're, then pretty much you start worrying about the bottom line, you know, and, and so that's your focus. And it takes a great deal of surplus um, and the feeling that you have enough and it's just going to stay forever kind yeah. of thing to start to think about other things. And I feel like some of the corporate level, grand corporate level, you know, the IBMs mm -hmm. of the world, et cetera, and the Microsoft, you know, um, they're doing these philanthropic actions and it's almost like a substitute government. You know, it's like I've often said, why does Bill Gates get to decide what our social policy is, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's because of the way that things are set up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I want all the companies mm -hmm. to be the ones that are doing this stuff. But somebody it's needs a, to be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually a very valid point. I don't know how, like how how one gets the money out of the system so mm -hmm. that you get it to the people who would actually make really good decisions about how to use it. Right. Like, not, that's definitely a systemic yeah. Yeah. problem. Um, I just, you know, the industry has actually caused some, and its attempt to be helpful caused some larger negative, like very serious issues that right. they're turned a blind eye to that they don't right. think as part of their responsibility. Yeah. And you're going to see those, um, it's like the emerging markets for online dating are India and China mm -hmm. right now. And they're going to be like multi-billion dollar right. industries. Right. And so it's like, what does it say about our values right. in our world where right. this one industry. And the MOs of those companies yeah. are also yeah. more of the, you know, what do you want? I'll get it for you kind than, than what you're talking about doing in your yeah. well, because own it, practice. Yeah. I mean, love is always going to be that human need. Mm -hmm. um, and then it gets exploited and taken mm -hmm. advantage of in ways that most people don't realize yeah. is happening. So I think, you know, for me, you know, empowering a client to go through the process on their own and then, you know, using your own network or putting yourself out there and just mm -hmm. knowing that people are going to show like feels like a better way to yeah. go through yeah. the process rather than get sucked into the thinking that someone else is going to solve or some company is going to solve right problem for you. I was just talking to um, a student who is, uh, you know, not local. And, and so we got into this conversation about, you know, how do you how do you how do you work do this kinds of work you know this soul work yeah. um, at a distance or 
you know, so many people are using the internet as their source of learning mm -hmm. and whatnot now. And I've, I've been really torn on, is this effective at all? Like I, I, I know it's useful at helping people get some kinds of information and um, even to start certain kinds of practices, but there's so much gained from individual interaction that I don't know, I'm just sort of still thinking about well, what would be good to do yeah. online versus just being online because that's where the market is kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I just wonder in your own... Yeah. I mean, right now I'm only doing initial consultations online, but, and that was just a choice because my going through my own healing journey, my energy was low. And so mm -hmm. it was really hard for me to do in like in-person assessment work. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, for clients, they feel like they're going to make major changes or clients that need more grounding and stability. They really do need to meet with someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, meditation and yoga, you know, I've I've learned that, yeah, I have a daily practice. I can do my practice. But if there are going to be good days and bad days. And on the bad days, like, I need to be in the room with someone mm -hmm. or at least in a community, even if it's, you know, Right. A room of people who've never meditated before. There's something about the energy. Yeah. That is the actually group intention. The group intention or being in a different environment um, that's more energetically grounding. And um, I think that's why people will start things online, but they never mm. they never finish them, or why people will sign up for their yoga like membership for like, you know, with the intention of doing yoga every day for mm -hmm. you know, and then two weeks later they've stopped and tell you that mm -hmm. yoga is not for them yeah. um, because they don't think they've had the experience of what it's like to do the change in the room yeah with someone yeah yeah and i guess i i i brought that up because i didn't want to you know say so what's your advice for so-and-so but I, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask more like do you think that when people are interested in dating and they're having a challenge that, um, you know, like w how, how can they pursue that kind of growth that you're talking about, their own personal journey? And um, like, when does it make sense to have the help of someone mm -hmm. who's, you know, a professional in the field? Yeah, I like to tell clients that they're kind of like the CEO of like their life journey. And so any good CEO would have a board of advisors. And so my role would be as one of those consultants. Um, I really push back on clients. And I had a male client last month who wanted me to be, be everything for him. And I and said that's not how a CEO runs mm -hmm, their company. Mm -hmm. You have a board of advisors. I'm one consultant for one area. But like, you know, you've for 10 years been called to a spiritual path and just have made the choice not to follow that. But you might want to explore why. And so there might be a really good yoga instructor. There might be a really good meditation instructor. I'm a big fan of social dancing, um, especially in this area, because it puts you in the room with people mm. um, where you can actually interpersonally actually start to work on your energy mm -hmm. related to, um, you know, being like connecting with people. So there might be a dance instructor. Like you need like a whole slew of people to mm -hmm. get you through 
your journey and at different times you're going to be calling different different people and you have to trust yourself to know when's the right time to focus like on social dancing versus the right time to you know focus on yoga mm-hmm. practice um and so i feel like my role is to kind of just empower them to kind of set up their board of directors right, so that right. they have options um and I think that's where my industry has gone wrong. Like traditional psychotherapy, therapists often say therapy is the answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And I do not believe ther- therapy is the answer for everything. I think it's one piece mm-hmm. of like a larger like puzzle and people have to be free to make their, their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you'll talk about something for 10 years and we're we should move on from talking about it and maybe start our yoga practice. Right, right. Um, You know, because talking is the mind and then yoga is the body and then it leads to this. The energy, yeah. the, The energy. It's interesting you say it that way because I kind of have come around from the other direction where um, in our practice that's so built on working with energy, it's easy to see it as a way to sort of bypass the loops of mm-hmm. thinking about it and, you know, talking about it and processing it and, you know, and um, I've been seeing more and more the value of the right amount of the processing that needs to be done too because it's great to change your energy but if you it's it's sort of feels like you could make the change but being aware of what you're doing can be so helpful Mm -hmm. also yeah right to notice oh right that's that and i feel different about that now and so yeah i mean i think like you can go down the rabbit hole of yoga and meditation. And um, I have a friend who's very tied into a lot of the, you know, meditation community in LA who I call the retreat guru because he's been on so many retreats. Mm-hmm. Like, like you can ask for a referral. He'll tell you where, mm-hmm. where to go. Um, but he's about to start his doctorate program in psychology because mm-hmm. he recognized that when he was going through his healing journey that just staying in that one kind of space um which was really helpful when he needed it right does not provide all of the answers and that he had to challenge himself in psychotherapy to like really understand like what his emotions actually were how to name the emotions how does that relate to what's going on in the body and that was not something he was getting right from his other practices an escapism at a certain point and it's it's i mean what we're we're talking about is doing the svadhyaya part Mm -hmm. like to study yourself and what's going on and not just go to the ishvara pranidana of like going out of here yeah no i i I think the self-study has to like include all, all components. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where people get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from my experience, like I was super intellectual. I still am. So I was stuck in my head and mm-hmm. still struggle to get out of my head, which is why yoga and meditation and doing, you know, energy work has been so healing mm-hmm. for me. But on the other side, if you're just doing that, right. just like I was just doing the mind right. like, early in my 20s, like, yeah. it's not, it's still going to not be the right, yeah. the right balance of things. Yeah. And we, we all have our inclinations and you can't 
like not be your inclination mm -hmm. anymore, but you can go from your inclination to create more balance, more, yeah. more harmony um, across your approach. And, and I think letting that in also, which again gets back yeah. to dating. Sometimes yeah. you meet someone who's exactly like you and that's the match. And sometimes it's someone who's filling in some of the complimentary yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking no. you out of your box. Yeah. No, I think dating is also a really wonderful opportunity to get that mirror of, you know, what is it that you actually need to like work on or accept about yourself and then use it so that you can be in like an actual relationship with right. someone, right. which I feel like people don't want to yeah like go there and, and just the actual yeah the actual relationship phrase is so perfect too mm -hmm. because actual relationship isn't like the satisfaction of all my desires yeah. and my source yeah. of happiness it's a place where you're working yes you know it's a new way of working that's different from solo yeah i know it's like it's kind of like we've trained everyone here to kind of be like the king or queen sitting on a yeah. throne and like say please show up and submit your application yeah. and i will consider it where it's like that's not right it's not like how like long-term relationships and marriage works right. so the fairy tale um, it's the fairy tale although i do like the fairy tale of cinderella if it's told from a different perspective mm. because i think she elaborate yeah i think um if you really look at who she is, she's a light worker with some psychic abilities who talks to animals. <laughs> and um, she didn't necessarily want Prince Charming. She ran away from Prince Charming. Um, and But he recognized that she was different and, and a good, mm. in a good way. And I think mm. if the story had gone beyond just like the engagement and like happily ever after marriage mm -hmm. to them changing the world in some way, because that was the reason why he, you know, mm. ran after her. It's a very different fairy tale. So it kind of just represents the way we viewed relationships in the past. But yeah. like now it's changing. Yeah. Since someone like Cinderella and who gets together with someone who has the financial means, like could do really like amazing work in, right, right. in the world. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't get credit <laughs> for her like psychic abilities or like the right. fact that she's just yeah you know, like she doesn't complain about washing the dishes she doesn't <laughs> complain you know and right. that's like a very something to like just like contemplate on like, mm -hmm. why is she not upset that well, she's like washing yeah washing the dishes or you well know. it's perhaps also that an example of that hopefulness mm -hmm. you know like i what's in front of me i will do yeah she's kind of that's just, what's in front of me and she's kind of just living in the moment it's right. not like she's sitting there like on tinder like mm -hmm. being like who the hell is going to rescue me yeah, from yeah. my wicked stepmother it's yeah. kind of like she's just in the in the moment doing what that's in front of her right. um and do i wish she was a little bit more empowered to tell her stepmother to you know go mm -hmm. wherever mm -hmm. of course like you know, they were not nice, but there is like other like other layers to that particular yeah. story that could be retold in a more yeah. empowering way. Yeah. And I I guess our in our modern world we're we're working on that, right? We're mm -hmm. creating new models and uh we're dealing with all of the evolution of our community and the structures yeah. in our community and the roles in our community and I mean, all that stuff is so exciting and, and yet it is the work it's work. And yeah. so it's hard and it creates conflict and we have to keep working on it. 
It is the work. Going I don't know. Going back is no option. No, we can't go. We can't go back. We have to go through this like, period of just a lot of confusion right now. Yeah. But we need. But we have to go back and begin to look at these stories because even Prince Charming, you know, we like to say, oh, he just comes and rescues. But mm-hmm. like, he had to make a choice as a leader to do something different. And mm-hmm. we don't always have such good role, male role models, kind of leading. Yeah. From that perspective in our country right now. Yeah, yeah. So we we probably should take a pause and just really right. kind of reflect on why are these archetypes like in our yeah in our stories and what does that mean yeah. for the future. We have this classic American loner rebel male mm-hmm. you know, that just doesn't it's so funny because I was just talking about the Bhagavad Gita um before this and both appearances of Vishnu in the Indian legends come about when society is having real problems holding together and Vishnu is the sustaining energy. And so the incarnations, uh, Rama and then Krishna Mm -hmm. are setting the, they are the role models. Rama is like, this is how you work with integrity even though all this terrible stuff is there, he comes down to get rid of demons Mm -hmm. in the world. Demons have taken over the world. And so even when his wife is carried off by a demon, he doesn't go from revenge. He doesn't go from spite. He doesn't break the rules. He doesn't do it. And he always goes with this high integrity path. Mm -hmm. And it was like a role model. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, we need more of those. You know, I think those role models exist, but Mm -hmm. they're not... Our media doesn't do a good job mm-hmm. highlighting mm-hmm. highlighting them. So we really are being inundated in mm-hmm. some really toxic, negative stuff all the time. And people forget that those role models do exist and we need to be looking to them and not yeah. our television or our phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a little less cynicism and a little more like, I don't know. It's like, uh, I think it's the thing that you touch when you have an authentic practice, like Mm -hmm. when you're doing a a yoga practice and you're feeling that like wondrousness, Mm -hmm. then you act from a place that's much more compassionate and, and, and you are able to see the, that other kind of role model or even be that other kind of role model. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think especially, um, for emotional types, which I would say probably statistically, it's a little over half people kind of process things from a very emotional perspective first, and mm-hmm. that's their kind of they're born mm-hmm. to do that. Um, I think the discipline of a yoga or meditation practice really helps invite someone not to go down the rabbit hole of doing that negative, judgy things to someone else. Um, and teaches them to wait 24 hours before sending mm-hmm. that text message mm-hmm. so that we respect our relationships mm-hmm. a little bit more. And that just because we have a feeling of something that we can choose not to go with that, we can sit and think about it for a little while. Um, and I think that's a really big problem in dating when an emotional and a non-emotional person kind of, as they always do, come together to teach each other. The emotional person's just impulsively saying, well, I'm having these feelings, so I'm going to text you all kinds of nasty things. And then you're like, okay, well, how do you feel about that two days later? (laughs) Because it's not 
it's not working for you and you just damaged mm-hmm. the relationship mm-hmm. for like no reason when mm-hmm. you could have sat on your meditation cushion mm-hmm. and gone through the process of feeling the emotion and then, then learning from from the that, other side you know. of that that example what is the non-emotional person what's the growth path there for them to not run away from it, to kind of learn to tolerate it and such boundary. I mean, if someone's really going off, thing, you got to set your boundaries. But it's also to learn that emotions are health, like healthy data mm-hmm. and that you shouldn't be running and avoiding mm-hmm. them and learning to tolerate some emotions is actually like good for your, for your growth because most people in this world are, are emotional. Um, and so I think, um, with a lot of the men that I work with, they're not in touch with the emotional piece. And so they do go to meditation, right? That's like a, like a thing now. They'll go to meditation, sit in a like meta practice, but like they're energetically not, right. not connected. So they don't like, they're not getting it and they're right. not necessarily seeking out the teacher to help them, yeah, yeah, help them get it. And so they struggle, Yeah, they struggle with it. And a relationship is a really wonderful teacher. In that department, if yeah. you can choose to not run from it. That's beautiful. Um, let me ask you one last thing mm-hmm. before we go. And it's since you mentioned the meta practice, like um, you've been working with Ishta meditation and, and also, you know, you're knowledgeable about some of the mindfulness practices. Um, where, where do you think the, the mindfulness component has a limitation like we've we've spoken about this a little bit in the past and and i'm working with a (laughs) that was a very odd little sound um uh, i've been working with alan on a book about meditation beyond mindfulness like what else can you do beyond some of those practices and and be interested in your take on yeah. Where that falls into the realm of things. You know, for me, when I, because I've done, you know, being in the field, but psychotherapy was my first entry point into healing. Um, and I think it was in 2010, 2011, when I was going through a really bad breakup and like just stuff started falling apart. I ended up in Berkeley with a therapist who did compassion focused therapy. She's one of the, um, founders of it in the United States and comes from a psychologist in London. And I thought she was really out of her mind crazy because I was born and raised in New York. So she's talking about self-compassion and I'm like, you have gone off the deep end and I'm in Berkeley and this is just like, I'm going to have to tolerate, yeah. tolerate this. Um, so I was California, California, crazy yeah. people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably the most, profound life-changing thing it just takes time for you to reflect back on that how important that was for your journey but I wouldn't even though I knew how to meditate this particular kind of self-compassion and then she wanted me to do more meta loving kindness meditation it was so resistant to it that I like would have like meltdowns in therapy over the homework Um, and so she's like okay we'll just walk like just do walking meditation and so you know, I would do these things and I would do eventually do the practice. And I thought it was the stupidest thing I could possibly have done until like years later when it actually started like clicking in and making sense 
And I think the yoga piece actually helped it make sense. So I think the roadblock in the meditation world is that it's coming from a very cognitive place. Like you can sit in a meta practice at like Mindful Studio here, which like I love their studio, and say the same thing over and over and over again and actually not feel mm-hmm. that you're actually sending love to someone else. Mm-hmm. Like you can be completely disconnected and still do that practice. And I think um, there has to be a way to integrate the mind and the heart. Um, and one of the things I have clients do after they do that kind of meditation practice, I will actually have them write on post-it notes, like a little note, like a love note to someone and put it in a jar. And so it's a little bit more of an act of doing something loving or send, mm-hmm. sending that energy, but doing something. Making it concrete. Making it concrete um, so that they can actually start to feel feel it. And I think that's where the meditation world needs to mm-hmm. start going. Um because it's like mindfulness is like the baby beginning yeah. start. And then it's like you got to go down the rabbit hole yeah, of actually yeah. feeling. Yeah, feeling and then doing mm-hmm. that self-study mm-hmm. part. Yeah. And then eventually letting go altogether into the yeah. transcendent space. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Well, here we are in the universe. It's <laughs> the perfect place to <laughs> conclude. All right, Jenny, thank you so much. That was really fun. Yeah, thank you for having yeah, me. I my enjoyed pleasure. it. pleasure. Great. Namaste. Namaste. That's today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening to Peter's podcast. I hope that you find real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living through your practice. Please support me on Patreon, rate the podcast, and I'll see you next week. Namaste. Namaste.